Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron, I'm the online pastor here. And if it's your first Sunday tuning in with us, I wanna say a special welcome to you. You can connect with New City by going to our website, newcity.us connect, or you can send a text message to the number below, 704-389-5333. I'll be on the receiving end of that message and would love to, to know how I can answer any questions about New City, as well as be praying with you and for you this week if you have any special requests. And hey, if you wanna partner with New City and the work we're doing in our city and in our world, we'd love to offer you a chance to do that as well. You can go to our website, newcity.us give. We can set up a one-time gift or a recurring gift. Now we're gonna join Joel as he leads us in worship. Welcome to New City Online. If y'all would worship with us this morning, come join us in rejoicing about our God. And I've searched the world, but he couldn't fill me. And man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. But you came along and you put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied.
y'all would continue to worship with us this morning. Still stands. Great is your faithfulness. 
God, help us to always remember your steadfastness and your faithfulness, Lord. I pray that you bless this service, Lord, and allow us to look to you and have ears to hear your voice in Jesus' name. How has God's word changed you? My favorite scripture in all of the Bible is Luke 23, 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why is that my favorite scripture? Because it literally changed my life. I remember reading that scripture many years ago and thinking to myself after I read it, how could he say that? How could he say that? while bearing the sins of the world and being momentarily separated from his father. And I remember vividly being confronted in my heart by the truth that served as the answer to that question. And it was simple. The reason Jesus could say those words as he hung on the cross was because he loves me and because I'm valuable to him, regardless of what I've done. Now listen, this not only changed the way I see myself, but it changed the way I see other people. And guess what? If I am loved and valued by him, then so are you. So not only was I confronted by the truth that is God's word, but I was changed by it. And last week in Nehemiah chapter 8, we learned of a people who were confronted by God's word. And we learned that they understood God's word, that they rejoiced in God's word, and that they obeyed God's word. But today in Nehemiah chapter 9, we'll see that the same people that were confronted by God's word are now beginning to be changed by God's word. And as we do, I believe we'll learn an important truth, and that is this, that when we remember the character of God, we're compelled to renew our commitment to him. So I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number nine. We'll look at the first couple of verses. Now, this is a long chapter, so I do want to encourage you to read it in its entirety as you have a chance. We're not going to read uh, the whole thing today, but we will read pieces of it today. But I do want to uh, encourage you very strongly to please read this entire chapter. Um, It should also be preloaded for you on the New City app along with the sermon outline. So Nehemiah chapter number nine, we'll begin at verse number one, the word of God to you today. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day, For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So here we are now in chapter number nine of Nehemiah. And on the 24th day of the month, this is two days after the solemn assembly that closed Nehemiah chapter number eight. And so the people have now heard scripture read to them. They've heard it explained. And now their hearts have responded. So the progression from the rebuilding of the wall to the revival or the reading of God's word in chapter number eight serves to illustrate to us that scripture is central to the life of believers. 
Now, what we see here first in chapter number nine that serves as the evidence of the people changing is repentance. So I want to go through this with you. We just read this in, in verses one through three. We saw first that the people, they were, they were fasting. The scripture says that they had sackcloth or, and earth or dirt on their heads. And this, this essentially showed their lowly and humble state before God. It also communicated that they were so troubled by their sin that food and the normal comforts of life were no longer as important. In addition, it showed their complete poverty of state before God. I love that. The scripture also says that they separated themselves and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, this was important because not only did they realize and admit that they had missed God's mark, but in those days, there was a tradition of glorifying their forefathers. But here they were confessing the sins and the iniquities of their forefathers. And lastly, in verse 3, we saw that they read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day, which was three hours, and they made confession and worshiped for another three hours. So they were in the presence of God for six hours. And, and, and family, this is key because repentance is not only turning from sin, but it's also turning to God. And so repentance is what we see the people doing here in the first couple of verses of Nehemiah chapter number nine. And this brokenness of heart led them to humbly come before God and hear God's word. I love this quote that I came across by Dr. Tony Evans regarding repentance. He says, the purpose of repentance is to reestablish fellowship with God. To reestablish fellowship with God. We see a perfect example of that here in the first couple of verses of Nehemiah chapter 9. So the people were confronted by God's word, and they are now being changed by God's word. And the first evidence of that that we see here today is their repentance. Now, the rest of chapter number 9 is essentially a prayer, which is said to be the longest recorded prayer in Scripture. And it reviews the history of Israel, and it reveals both the majesty of God and the depravity of of man. I love that contrast. But the prayer spans from the end of verse 5 all the way through verse 37. But I love how the prayer begins. The prayer begins with the people remembering the goodness of God. Remembering the goodness of God. Now, they are specifically they are remembering the goodness of God towards their ancestors. And this remembrance dates all the way back to Genesis. In verses 5 and 6, they remember God as the as God the creator. In verse 7 and 8, they remember him as the God of covenant. And in verses 9 through 15, they remember him as God the deliverer. In verses 9 through 15. Now, why is remembrance important? Why is remembrance important? Remembrance is important because remembrance is essential to renewal. Remembrance is essential to renewal. Not to mention it is a constant theme in Scripture. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses challenged the people to remember the way that the Lord had led them through the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus also in Luke chapter 22, as he ate the Passover with, with the disciples, he challenged them. He said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. 
If you remember, uh, weeks ago as we studied Nehemiah chapter number four, as the people faced opposition, Nehemiah challenged the people and encouraged them by telling them to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And you remember the scripture I mentioned at the beginning, that's my favorite scripture, Luke 23, 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was Jesus remembering you and I as he hung on the cross. Listen, what we focus on, what we choose to remember, good or bad, becomes bigger in our lives. And so remembrance for you and I, remembering what God has done, remembering his goodness is essential for our renewal. And so the people here in Nehemiah chapter number nine, they remembered the goodness of God in the lives of their ancestors. But not only did they do that, but they also reflected on the rebellion of their ancestors in spite of the goodness of God. Let's read verses 16 and 17 together. The word says, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. So the scripture says, we we just read that, that God had been great to them. God had been good to them. But here they are now being a rebellious people. The scripture says that they were presumptuous and that they were stiff-necked. You ever met somebody who's experienced the the goodness of God only to rebel in spite of it? I have. And I see him every day when I look in the mirror. But I love this. Somebody say, but God. I love this. In spite of their rebellion, here comes the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. And this next part is my favorite part of the entire chapter right here. And it is essentially God's response to their rebellion. God's response to their rebellion. Read with me verses 17 through 21. So we just read that the people, in spite of God's goodness, they were rebellious. But verse 17 says, but you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I love this. And did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them, to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manner from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. And verse 21 says, their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Don't you just love how God responds to our rebellion? God, God, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of our rebellion, he did not forsake them and he will not forsake us. The scripture says, if you continue reading down through verse 25, it says that he was, he was forgiving, he was gracious, he was merciful, He was slow to anger. He did not forsake them. 
Scripture even said that we just read, he, he sent his spirit to instruct them. We read that he sustained them and he established them. But there's one word that I want to sit in for just a minute. And it says his steadfast love. The original, the original word there is, 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 is hesed. And, and this word is a powerful word. And it occurs a lot throughout the Old Testament. And, and it describes to us essentially that this steadfast love, this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God chooses to be, not just to them, but this is who he chooses to be to you and to me. In spite of our choices, his steadfast love and faithfulness, when we choose to remember and to embrace it, it causes us, all of us, any of us, to turn, to change, to repent, and to recommit ourselves to him. Where will we be without the steadfast love of God? But here comes the cycle, right? Here comes the cycle. Nevertheless, verse 26 says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. In spite of God's goodness, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Can anybody relate to this cycle? I know I can. I can relate to this, to this cycle. But here again, watch God. Verse 31. Verse 31, in spite of their disobedience and their rebellion, the scripture says in verse 31 that he responds with grace and with mercy. How can we not love God? How can we not love God? So we've seen so far the evidence of the people changing here in Nehemiah chapter 9 was that they were repentant. They remembered the goodness of God to their ancestors. They also reflected on the rebellion of their ancestors. And then we also just saw God's loving response to their rebellion. But now here we are now in verse 32 of chapter number 9, and we see the people's request for God's intervention. The people's request for God's intervention. Let's read together verses 32 through 37. The word of God reads, Now therefore our God, the great the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. Our kings, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, verse 34, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, verse 36, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And verse 37, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us, and I love this part, because of our sins. Because of our sins, they rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. 
So I love how we notice how, how the prayer now shifts from their ancestors to them. It becomes more personal at this point. And the current generation that we're reading about of God's people in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, listen, they couldn't go back and change the past. But what they could do is take responsibility for their response to a great and a mighty God. And just as the Jews admitted their reality, they also acknowledge their need. They refuse to blame their present situation on the sins of their ancestors. And this was key because both the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, had warned the people not to fall into the trap of blaming previous generations for their sins. Have you ever blamed somebody else for, for your sins? The people now in this, in, this, in this chapter number nine had returned to the promised land, but they were still living in servitude to a foreign king. While they were reaping the benefits of the land's goodness and fertility, they were still required to pay taxes that sometimes resulted in their poverty. And consequently, the people realize now that they are slaves in the land of the free. So what were they asking for here? What were they asking for? Again, their reality was that they were slaves in the land that God had given to their fathers to enjoy. So their plea was that their plight would not be a small thing in God's sight. And the people poured out their hearts to God in confession. And their confession was an appeal to the mercy of the God of the covenant. After all, they knew that God had faithfully acted to deliver his repentant people in times past. And their great hope was that their unchanging God would see their condition, hear their confession, and that he would rescue them. And I don't know about you, but I can, I can see their hope. I can see the hope in their prayer as they remembered and reflected on the character of God. But, but watch this. Their prayer focused more on who God is and what he had done than it did their need for him to rescue them. Listen, it, it only took six verses for them to express their needs to God. And the other 31 verses focused on the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of God. I love that. How many times have our prayers been more about what we need or more about what we want from God or what we want God to do in our lives. I think, we can, I think we can learn something from the fact that though these people were in great distress, we just read it, though they were in great distress, they chose to remember the character of God and to remember what he had done for their ancestors. And they were calling for God to show up the same way for them. So their hope in and their remembrance of the character of God not only led them to confession, it also led them to renew their covenant to him. Let's read how the chapter ends here in verse number 38. Scripture says, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. It said, because of, because of all of this, because of all of this, the people of Israel were now ready to make a covenant 
before God. Because of everything we just, we just talked about, everything that had happened led them up to this place where they were now ready to make a covenant before God. Listen, Israel needed to come to this place. They needed to get here. They needed to come to this place where they knew who God was. They knew he was faithful. They knew he was merciful. They knew he was gracious and kind. But that wasn't all. They also needed to come to the place where they were honest about who they were. They were unfaithful. And they were rebellious. And as a result, they made a covenant with God, even writing it down, to come to commit themselves to his ways. And I think this is a moment for some of us that we need to realize. Some of us, some of us we know God as faithful and merciful and loving and kind. We've, we've experienced this in our own lives. But maybe we haven't been honest with ourselves about, about where we are. Maybe we haven't been honest with ourselves about our need for God's greatness, his goodness, and his grace. About the fact that as people, we are unfaithful and we are rebellious. I don't know about you, but on my, on my best day, it's difficult to keep God's promises and to live up to God's standard. This is why it's important for you and I to remember the character of God, remember who God is, and, and to not get so caught up in, 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 in how and where we miss it. Yes, we need to confess our sins and acknowledge that our need for a Savior and a living and loving God. But I think we, we, we learned today that we need to spend more of our time remembering and focusing on the character, the goodness, and the grace of God. So here in Nehemiah chapter number 9, we're beginning to see a change in the same people who were confronted by God's word in Nehemiah chapter number 8. In Nehemiah chapter number 8, we learned again that they understood God's word, they rejoiced, and they obeyed. But here in chapter number 9, we saw repentance, we saw a remembrance of God's goodness, we saw a recognition of their own sinfulness. And lastly, we just saw a renewal of their covenant with God. So then, the work of God in their hearts was more than just an experience. It was beginning to shape their future. It was beginning to shape their future. And so with that said, I want to ask you the question again that I asked in the beginning. How has God's word changed you? Is your hope in the character of God and the power of Christ? Or is it in your current circumstances or in your own abilities? Let me remind you of what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He'll never cease to be loving, to be gracious, to be faithful, to be loving and to be kind towards us. To say it more plainly, in a world that's fickle, God is faithful. And I think that's a character worth remembering. Because remembrance is essential to renewal. And when we remember the character of God, we're compelled to renew our commitment to him. To Christ alone be the glory. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for being such a great, such a good, 
such a gracious God to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have not only been good to those we love and care about, but you've been good to us. So we thank you for arresting our attention and reminding us of the the importance of remembering your goodness. But we pray, God, that as we do that, that you would help us to be honest with where we are and who we are and just how much we need your goodness, your greatness, and your grace. So we pray, God, that just as we saw today in the people of Nehemiah chapter number nine, who were once confronted by God's word and are now being changed, we pray that as we are confronted with your word, as we are exposed to your word, that we would submit ourselves to that word so that word can bring change, can bring about the abundant life that it's designed to bring in the hearts and the lives of your people. So we thank you that your desire is to not just rebuild the broken places of our lives, but that your desire is to renew our hearts. And so we pray, God, that that you would help us to remember you in the moments of the day that seem mundane. That you would help us to remember just how much you love us and just how valuable we are to you. And we pray that that remembrance would result in a renewed commitment and that our lives will be both salt and light that draws people to you. We thank you for it now. We honor you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's nothing. And oh, there's nothing. Better than you, oh, there's nothing It's better than you, oh, there's nothing And nothing is better than you And oh, there's nothing That's better than you, oh, there's nothing That's better than you
I'll have a blessed week in Jesus' name.